welcome, 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 welcome. Um, no, super excited to share with you guys. Um, and I guess this topic is pretty, a pretty recent one, like for me personally. Uh, something that I've been struggling with, something that I've been, God has kind of been showing me and, and telling me different things about. It, and I'm really um, eager to share that with you guys. Um, but before we start, let's just commit the time to God. Father, we pray that you speak. Uh, we pray that you say everything that's on your heart, Lord, um, to each single person in this room, Lord. You know what everyone is battling with and struggling with, Lord, and we just pray that you touch those particular areas, Lord. We pray that we walk out challenged, Lord, and we um, encourage at the same time, Lord. We invite you here, Lord, and um, we thank you for the time that we're about to have in your name. Amen. Amen. So the title that I gave for today is Pride and Humility. And then I did kind of like a subtitle for it and I said, you're not the main character. Um, I'm not sure where this sort of phrase came from, probably social media somewhere, but I just really liked it. And I thought it was fitting to what we're going to be speaking about today. Um, So I guess firstly, if you were to ask me, what's something that turns you off a certain person or like a, a certain characteristic that you really don't like to see in other people... Pride would definitely be one of the top things that, that comes up for me. Um, something that I just don't gravitate towards and I, I, I notice it very clearly in other people and I just dislike it quite a lot. Um, and sometimes when I do see it, I'm like, oh, like, stop that. Like, don't do it. I dislike it. Um, but I guess what I didn't realise is that I had this issue that... It's something that I battled with and it's a problem that I have had and still have within my life. It's a continuation um, in my life, but I was made aware of it, I guess, recently in my life. Um, and before I kind of, you know, introduce the topic and get speaking about it, I always like to give a definition of what that is. So pride, the Google definition that I found, said... A feeling of deep pleasure or satisfaction driven from one's own achievements, the achievements of those with whom one is closely associated, or from qualities or possessions that are widely admired. Nice definition. No no issues there. Um, I want to kick it off from 1 Corinthians 2. So we'll be jumping. If you have your phones or your Bible, pull them out. We'll be jumping in a lot of different parts of the Bible today. Um, and specifically in, um, in the book of John. But firstly, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 from the very top says this. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I desi- decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and his, his crucifixion. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words uh, of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. What we have here is Paul speaking. So this is Paul putting all the credit and, and putting all the attention on Christ and he's giving nothing to himself. So he gives no credit to himself. He makes much of Christ and nothing of himself. And what I want us to realize in what we're going to speak about today that we are just broken vessels 
that are graciously used by God. And today, as we speak on humility, we'll look at a certain person who actually embodies this um, beautifully in the Bible. And he's probably the most well-known um, and the best prophet the world has ever seen, arguably. Um, and that is John the Baptist. And he was quite an interesting man. He's a man that ate locusts he, uh, and honey and wore camel's hair and had a leather belt around him. So he's this strange man who was out in the wilderness. But a little bit of context that during the time of John the Baptist, um, there hasn't been a prophet in Israel for 400 years at that point, And he was the only one um, at the time in Israel. So Israel was in a real time of darkness. But what happened was when Jesus began his ministry and stepped into the, the sort of the, the field of ministry, once Jesus showed up and began his own ministry, John the Baptist kind of faded um, behind the scenes. And we'll explore that further. But John the Baptist was very humble and he was kind of hidden in a lot of the things that he did. You know, he didn't need extravagant clothes or elaborate demonstrations in the way that he spoke. He simply just presented Christ. And, you know, there's a, there's a real argument in sort of our generation at the moment where it's, you know, they say something like, you know, generations are changing. Churches are becoming, you know, a bit, a bit boring and not so entertaining. And, you know, we need more creative ways to kind of preach and get the message of God across. And to be honest with you, that is complete rubbish. Um, you don't need any sort of elaborate demonstrations or anything like that. You just need to present Christ. Um, like if I come on a stage in a zip line or I wear a thousand dollar watch um, or I use ridiculous examples to kind of try to get the point across, you miss Christ. Because what happens is people walk away from the church and they say, that preacher is amazing. That preacher is awesome. He was so good. Rather than God was awesome, God was amazing, God is so good, right? Our attention should never uh, be pointed to ourselves, but it should always be pointed um, towards Christ. And I actually had this, I speak from huge like experience in my life because I was really caught up in a, in a cycle of like, you can call it prosperity gospel, um, where I didn't even notice that I was going down that track. And it's so dangerous because you hear it and you're like, this is so different. This is so motivational. This is so great. And it's not the gospel. It's not the gospel because it misses Christ and it focuses all the attention on whoever the, the preacher is. So if that's you, if that's happening with you, examine yourselves in that. Um, it can be very um, dangerous. Um, but essentially from what we just read, you know, um, we're not taking the credit of God's work. We're giving God um, the whole credit. And actually, the greatest lesson that I personally learned was from Dave Abdi and Shadi. They both taught me the same thing as I was um, uh, learning to take messages. Uh, they always told me, point to Christ in everything that you do, your whole summary and um, in your whole speaking of the message, you have to point towards Christ. And John the Baptist knew that because Jesus, as I said, once he appeared on the scene, he was willing to give up the spotlight for Jesus. You know, before Jesus came, he was always saying, behold, the Lamb of God, behold, the Lamb of God. And he was always saying the coming Messiah, he's on his way. Um, and he was always ushering people to go follow Jesus. He made it all about him. So I'll pick up the story in John 1 um, in verse 23. This is kind of 
pre-Jesus, when, uh, before he arrived, he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. And essentially, that's who John was. You know, he was a voice crying out in the wilderness and preparing the way for that messianic king, for, for, for Jesus, as he um, showed up. And we'll explore um, what he says about this coming Messiah. And we'll jump around, as I said, into different areas of the gospel specifically to see the humility of John the Baptist. But we'll focus mainly on John uh, chapter 3. Firstly, though, Matthew 3.11, as I said, we're jumping everywhere today. Um, Matthew 3.11 says this. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And when I was preparing and when I read that, I'm like, goodness, like this Christ that we follow, his sandals we are not even worthy to to touch, let alone like hold. He's so holy. Um... And the question that I had for myself while I'm preparing, because this is as much as it is for me, as it is for all of us, but how do I present myself um, to Christ, to God? How do I present myself? Do I come before him with reverence in understanding of how holy this person actually is? And you might be thinking, well, you know, I am holy. Like in, in the way that I approach God and come before him, I think I'm pretty holy. You, you might be thinking that. Um, but my question would be, are you humble in approaching God's people as well? Because what happens is when you are humble before God, you're going to be humble in front of God's people. It's a, it's a sort of effect. It's a domino effect that happens in your relationship with Christ. And when you speak about Christ in whatever context that may be, whether it's through church, whether it's through uni, whatever that might be, do you diminish yourself? An uplift Christ, or is it the other way around? Who are you drawing attention to? In, um, in verse 13, uh, it says this in John. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. Again, this shows the attitude of John the Baptist toward Jesus. He realizes the magnitude of the person that is before him. And he's essentially saying, how can I, an unworthy sinner, be baptized by you? Uh, baptize you. You should be baptizing me. That's essentially what he's saying. That's humility right there and understanding who this person before him is. And continuing in um, verse 22 of John 3. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the, Judea, the, into the Judean countryside, where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now John also was baptizing, baptizing in Anon, near Salem, because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptized. So now in this story, we have John and Jesus doing the same sort of ministry. They're preaching and they are baptizing. And what we see here is that initially John was doing his ministry in an area called Judea, where Jesus now is. But when Jesus came into Jerusalem and specifically Judea, John moved to a completely different area. So he took his ministry completely 
elsewhere to a different region. So what we see here is that the area where John the Baptist had the most success um, and where people were coming to be baptized, he was known for being in that particular area. But due to Jesus' arrival and kind of being in that same vicinity, he decided to take himself elsewhere. Again, he realized that there was absolutely no competition between, between him and Christ. He knew that one greater has arrived and he humbly gave Jesus that particular region. Verse 25 to 26. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he's baptizing and everyone is going to him. So now you have more people are going to be baptized by Jesus than by John, which is kind of, you know, John would have probably been not so used to that because he's used to everyone coming to him. But now more people are going towards Jesus. And Jesus wasn't actually the one who's physically baptizing these people, but his disciples were doing the physical side of the the baptisms. He was just calling people to be baptized. You see, throughout all of John's ministry, he was always pointing the finger towards Christ. He always told the listeners that it's, that it's not about him, that he's not the Messiah, but the Messiah is coming. As we, as we read, he's a voice crying out in the wilderness and preparing that way for Jesus. But what we just read is that John's disciples struggled with the idea of letting go of John and clinging to Christ. Because as we just read, they didn't actually use the name of Jesus. He just said, this guy that you're like, you know, prophesying and proclaiming who he is and whatnot. This guy, um, don't actually use the name Jesus there, but they just referred to him as he. Um, You know, he's on the other side. They were completely jealous um, of Jesus. And we actually see that later on in in, in chapter 11, that John sends them over to to Jesus to ask if he was the, the Messiah. But an overall example that I want to kind of share with us is Christians are simply stars shining in the darkness and Christ is the sun. But sometimes what we like to do is elevate the star above the sun. And to us hearing that, that's ridiculous because the magnitude and the difference between the two um, energies is ridiculous. A star is not equivalent to the sun. But sometimes we do that. We elevate one above the other. And it's ridiculous to think that we do that with some pastors or some leaders or some people that we look up to in our own lives. We do that in the place of Christ, where Christ is supposed to be. But what happens is the more you see and know Christ, the less you see of those ministering. And John never made it about himself. He always promoted Christ and not his own. Well, we need to understand that any person ministering, whether it's a pastor or whether it's anyone else, if they declare authority over the church, it's actually deceiving the church because there is only one mediator between man and Christ, and that is Jesus. So all people in positions of ministry, whatever that looks like, we're to simply see ourselves or they're simply to see themselves as Christians. That's purely what they are. The head of the church is not the pastor. It's actually God who is in charge and in control. 
And um, as church members, if we treat any of the leaders in the church as anything more than Christians, we're actually dishonoring Jesus himself because all honor belongs to God and not to man. Verse 27, um, to this John replied, continuing from what we just read, to this John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. And another example um, of something very similar to what we just read is found in 1 Timothy. And this is when Paul is actually speaking um, to Timothy about ministry. And he was kind of guiding him through this particular process. In 1 Timothy 1, 12 to 14. Similar example. And he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considers me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. I'm going to keep saying this. Our lives are not about us, but they are about God. And all that God gives us, it is through his grace and through his mercy. Nothing in this world belongs to us. Everything is purely given by God. And mercy is something that is given to us, but we don't actually deserve it. You know, you don't rise in your positions of ministry because you are holier than anyone else because of your connections, because of your charisma, because of your hard work and dedication to the Bible. You're not in your position because of your hard work. You're in your position because God has placed you there. And while keeping in mind that everything in our lives is given by God, we're going to move back to John. uh, John 3, verse 35, he says, The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in His hands. And I think this is a verse that we can skim over, but we need to really understand it. And it's essentially saying it was the same for Jesus. And what that kind of means is just like um, things are given to us by God, everything was given by the Father to Jesus. And, you know, we get prideful and we say things like, um, I've achieved this or I've done that or I'm so glad and I'm so good. And by... By doing that, we're essentially putting Jesus down. Um, And you're saying, I'm greater than Jesus uh, because Jesus was given the same authority by God. I'll give you an example of um, something that actually happened here at church. Where a couple of Easter's ago, it would have been a couple of years now, I can't remember how long. But we were in Dandenong at the time and we had this homeless man come in. I have no idea if anyone remembers this, but we had this... Homeless man uh, come into the church. He was clearly very drunk. He smelt really bad and he was really um, in a bad way. And he actually went to sleep on one of the outside foyer benches. And I kid you not, nine out of ten people who walked in and saw this man, they greased him off and they were like, what is he doing here? Like, this man should be outside. And we, um, yeah, I, I'd say majority of the people who walked in did, did exactly that. And I even had some of the youth kids um, come up to me and they were like, should we kick him out? Like, we should get rid of this man. Like, tell him to, to get out of here. He stinks. Um, but it wasn't until a certain member of the ad- adults that actually went to him with some food and some water and they sat with him for just a couple of um, minutes. 
And what I understood from that experience is that not only do we have a pride issue, but we're not good at living out our Christianity. You see, we're very good at being Christians, but we are very bad at living out our Christianity. And this example is actually Christ's attitude towards us. Even though we are drunk in our ways and we stink of our sins, Christ comes at our feet, he feeds us, he washes our feet, he sits with us. That even though he has every right to grease us off and look at us as evil, wicked sinners, he doesn't do that. He calls us his own. And as I said, that, that example kind of suggested that, you know, there was a pride issue there um, where we like to put ourselves uh, ourself above others. That we see, just because we know the truth, um, it doesn't mean we are better than anyone else. Because knowing the truth and living the truth are completely different uh, things. So I want to encourage us tonight, and particularly those who don't believe that they have a pride issue... Um, you most likely do. And I'm not trying, to, not trying to be rude or anything like that. I just purely want you to examine yourself and come before God and genuinely ask him to reveal um, this to you or your shortcomings in general. Because as I said at the very um, beginning, there was a time in my life very recently where I struggled to find problems in my own character And I know how arrogant this sounds like. This sounds insanely arrogant that I'm saying this. But genuinely, I remember a distinct moment where I came before Christ and I'm like, God, like, how can I, like, improve? Like, what is it in me that, you know, needs to change or needs to grow or needs to to adopt? Like, what, what is that? And I would always kind of think deep and hard about what wasn't up to standard and as I prayed about this, um, it wasn't actually, I didn't identify this for myself. I actually had a mentor reveal some of these things to me. And it highlighted to me that I'm so far from the standard. Like, I would have thought that Christ would have come back to me and said, you know, you have this particular area in your life that you struggle with. And I would have been like, oh, just one, it's okay. Like, it's not, it's not that bad, right? I can, I can work on one area. But what was highlighted to me during that conversation that I had with this mentor, um, and it wasn't directly through them telling me you struggle with this, this, and this. It was God who actually showed me that. But oh my gosh, like I'm so far from, from, from the standard. And I struggle with so many aspects. I'm no better because I know the truth. I'm no better because of anything. I am not a good person. I, I struggle with a lot of things in my life. And pride was definitely one of the things that was clear to me that I um, struggled with. As I was preparing, I actually heard this example on pride and I, I felt it to be pretty accurate. It said, um, pride is like bad breath. You don't know you have it, but everyone else notices it. Um, and that's so accurate. Where it's an, unidentifi- an unidentifiable sin in our lives a lot of the time. But we, at the end of the day, are not greater than anyone else. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says this. For who makes you different from anyone else? Who, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? And this verse is pretty much a great summary of what we just said. But Paul here is saying, nothing you have is yours and everything that is given to you is from God. And this next verse that I'm about to read, and I do not 
mean to highlight any theological differences here, but even our own salvation is a gift from God. Um, Ephesians 2, 8 to 10 says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I'm not going to say anything else, just to, but I'll move back to, to that part of the story. John 3, back to John 3. We are now in verse 28 to 30. It says this, You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. Paul here is essentially referring to himself as the the best man in a wedding, um, best man of the groom who is Christ. And in those days, the job of the, the best man was to actually communicate with the bride and help her plan for the big day, for the wedding. And it was the groom's job to get the house prepared and ready for when they get married and move in. So what would happen is the best man and the, and, and the bride would communicate all the way until the wedding day itself. And then, they would, and then the, the best man would kind of present the, the bride and the groom together. They would um, unite them. So John here is pretty much saying, you know, I'm not the bridegroom. I'm just bringing sinners towards Christ. And once he brings the two together, he disappears off the scene because it's now um, God's work. Christ must increase and I must decrease. So what made the disciples of John jealous, as we read earlier on, as they were jealous, made John joyful. And we see something very similar today where pastors grow up in ministry. You know, they're dedicating it all to Christ and they're very passionate and and on fire for Jesus. But once they get a little bit of praise or a little bit of fame, it changes from it being about Christ and it becomes about them. Obviously, this is not a generalized thing. But once a church, uh, church being the people, once a church starts pointing towards its ministers and towards its leaders, it is no longer a church. Because every member of a church is a sinner that is saved by grace, who is, yes, given gifts by God, but those gifts don't elevate you above anyone else. So a question that I have for us is, are you happy with pointing towards Christ? And perhaps that's you tonight where the, your kind of finger direction has been moved away from Christ and it's been pointing at yourself. And it's, this is a realization for that tonight. Isaiah 57.15 says, For this is what the high and exalted one says, For he who lives forever, whose name is holy, I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. In our relationship with God, we need to speak less and tremble more in his presence. To understand that the God we worship is far above anything that is earthly. He's mightier and stronger than you. He's mightier and stronger than me. And he's all powerful, but at the same time, he's with those who are low in spirit. 
But at the same time as he's with those who are low in spirit, he actually opposes the proud as well. James 4, 6 says exactly that. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Do you know when else God uses the word oppose? He uses that when he's actually referring to Satan. He opposes Satan. So if you are proud or if you are arrogant, God opposes that. But he does give grace to the humble. And what I want us to get out of tonight is that we don't simply seek humility to be a humble person, but we seek humility to seek God. And maybe you feel like God is quiet in your life at the moment. And perhaps that's due to a pride problem. Perhaps that's due to something else. But maybe you don't notice it in your life. Luke 18, 9 to 14 says, To some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. A lot of the time I see myself as the Pharisee in the story. We say things like, uh, I might be arrogant, but I'm not as arrogant as them. Or I might have shortcomings, but I don't have as many shortcomings as this person. You know, we justify these shortcomings that we have in our lives. And you might see it the same way that, that I did in my life. I thought that just because I didn't brag about the accomplishments and the successes that I had in life, that I wasn't a proud person. But what I didn't realize is that I always wanted people to see me as this good Christian, to put on this image towards other people. I realized that I avoided speaking about the shortcomings to, that I had in my life to other people because I didn't want them to see me in a different light. And I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. There is a wrong person, there's a right person to speak to about your shortcomings. But I never realized that I avoided this because I struggled with a pride problem in my life. And I think that in the church, there, we do struggle with this particular problem. We like to say things like, you know, I have struggles and, you know, I have my shortcomings. In our intimate circles, we like to say little things like that. But we never actually speak about those struggles that we have. Cool, you don't have to share it with everyone. But do you have a mentor? Do you have someone that you can speak to um, about these things? Someone who is God-centered and uh, biblically grounded that can actually help you? Because pride works in so many different ways in our lives. You know, we like to... um, Associate the proud people as the vocal people. But just because you are quiet, like your personality is, is pushed towards that way, that doesn't mean you're not a proud person. You don't need to vocalize your opinions to be a proud person. Um, and you might think, well, you know, they're just my own thoughts. They're in my own head and no one knows them. How can I be proud if they're just, you know, in, in my mind? But maybe you are quiet because you don't want anyone to say things about you or make fun of you because something that you said. And it's important, yes, to have a good image in front of people. 
No doubt, I'm not disagreeing with that. But if that's what you're thinking right now, please challenge that thought. Because that might be Satan kind of, you know, jumping in your head and saying, that's okay, that's not you. It's one thing having a good image and it's another thing pretending. And what happens with pride is very closely related with self-centeredness. And at many times it's very difficult to see in our own lives. Philippians 1, 12 to 18. Um, This is when Paul is in prison at this time. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. A little bit of context again. What's happening here is that there are other preachers on the rise now. And they're thinking, you know, now's my chance. You know, Paul is in prison. I can now have some attention and gain some more um, influence in the Christian community. And these new preachers are now throwing shade at Paul while he's in prison, saying, you know, God is perhaps punishing you for your sins or um, it's because of your sins that, you know, things aren't working out and that's why you're in prison. And we'll read in verse 18 Paul's reaction towards these threats and these things that people have been saying about him. He says, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Now that is humility. That in the midst of false accusations, in the midst of deep wounds and being afflicted by what these people are saying to Paul, he's still pointing towards Christ. And while reading this, I ask myself, what's my excuse? You know, what, what, what comes to my mind if this man is in prison and people are saying things like that about him? What's my excuse? Because sometimes we, we feel like we have every right to defend ourselves in situations. And just like Paul here, he could have defended himself. He has every right to. He didn't do anything wrong. But even in his defense, he lifts Christ above himself. James 1, 2 to 4. I'm nearly finished. James 1, 2 to 4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. For Paul, it was prison. He was in prison and he considered that pure joy to him. What is it for you? Shortly as we are going to just pray Ask God to humble you. Ask God to reveal those shortcomings. And as he starts the process of humbling us, know that it is a painful process which is going to hurt. But also know at the same time that when God begins the work of humility in your life, you sometimes start to think of yourself more because you start to feel sorry for yourself and for your circumstances and the things that are happening in your um, life. But the process itself of humility is thinking of yourself less 
and thinking of Christ more. The beauty and the magnitude of the creator of the universe who chooses to do life with me and you, even though I don't deserve it. He chooses to do life with us. Hebrews 5, 7-9 says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petition with fervent, fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obeyed him. This is Jesus praying, the Son of God praying. And it says he wasn't heard because he was Jesus. He was heard because of his reverence. And he also learned from his suffering. So now we have Jesus as this Son of God. And he learned through suffering. So who are we as human beings to say, no, God, I've got this. You step to the side or... You know, when difficulties come, we say, why God? But understand that the process of purification, of refinement, involves suffering. And suffering will look very different to each one of us. But that's the path that Jesus took. And personally, that's the path that I'm willing to take as well. So pride is not going to be removed without suffering. And obedience won't be achieved without purification. And I genuinely believe that God can do amazing things among us. We just can consistently need to stop looking at ourselves and to understand that we are nothing without Christ being involved. James four thirteen to 17. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why do you not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, you will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is a sin for them. Who knows if some of us will even go home tonight. But in all circumstances, we are to say, if it is God's will, because God is in complete sovereign control of our lives. So just finally, just to wrap up, humility is glad that every fiber of my being is a gift from God and will only keep functioning as long as God chooses. We are not in control. Humility is not wanting to be in charge because you are not greater than your master. Humility is approaching God with reverence. Humility is placing God first, regardless of circumstances. Humility hurts. Humility is to always point to Christ and point others to him. Humility is to make much of Christ and nothing of yourself. Let's pray. Father, help us to... Be humble, not for the sake of being humble, but to be humble because we want you, Lord. Father, in this um, process, help us to approach you with reverence, to understand who you are, to understand that we are not the main characters of this story, but you are, Lord, that we give you the glory, we give you the honor, 
that everything belongs to you and is ordained through you and is placed on our lives through you, Lord, that it is all about you, Lord. We pray that you take and get all the credit, Lord, and I just pray that we understand that this is the, the purpose of our lives, to live for you and not for ourselves, Lord. We pray that as we go into our lives and in our walks with you, Lord, that you would teach us the process of humility, Lord, and that you would remove this pride from our lives, Lord. We pray that you would place um, Christian people in our lives that can guide us along our journeys and identify struggles um, in our lives, Lord, through you. Thank you, Lord, for the time that we just had. And we just, I just pray, Lord, that we cling to you in all circumstances. In your name we pray. Amen.